year, um, the magazine Time ran two articles. Now, it was an election year, so naturally, uh, people's ire is up. But two articles makes for some interesting reading. The ca- uh, but the caption was, why Americans are so angry about everything. And the second one, um, America's anger is out of control. Now, I don't know if you resonate with that, but I certainly do. Um, the 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 more our country polarizes, um, the more the meaningful dialogue, civil dialogue, is being replaced with hostility and anger and people upset at each other. And that's the environment in which we live. And, um, and I think I, 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 most of us would share this, that, that this is an, an angry culture. And um, I've witnessed two full-on fights in an airplane in the last couple of years that I'd never seen before. Men just go into blows. Um, and more uh, examples of road rage around me than I ever have before. So that's, that's where we live is in a highly emotionally charged, especially with anger, culture. Now, this morning, my, my main um, topic isn't to deal with anger per se, although given the nature of our culture, it, it probably will be more prominent than the others. But what I'd like to l- look at... Um, through scripture is how is it that we as Christians, as believers, as followers of God, men and women of the word, how is it that we're supposed to relate to these emotions that God has given to us, right? In one sense, emotions are, are good. I mean, depending on how you understand the scripture, the scripture defines or describes God as, as a God who is God of joy, a God who can grieve, a God who's God of sorrow, a God who delights in things. That is, he has an emotional description to him. And he naturally has given us those emotions as well. And they, they are good in most of, some of the time. And, um, and they are necessary. As, as you saw in the picture, it's like fear can keep you from um, the edge of a cliff or sticking your hand on a copper wire that has 220 volts surging through it. Um, anger is, uh, is, a, is a righteous response to evil and injustice. Um, God is angered by sin. The Apostle Paul says to, to the church... Uh, This is chapter 4 and verse 26 of Ephesians. He says, be angry, but don't sin. In other words, you're going to be angered by injustice and brokenness in the world, but but don't let it cause you to sin. So in a sense, anger is is a necessary response to evil and injustice. So if you're not angry at all, well, then maybe something's wrong with you because that is a natural response to evil and injustice. Or grief is another one. You know, it's a natural response to loss of something that you love. And usually the more grief, the more you loved what's been lost. Or jealousy, another one. There's a place for jealousy. We're told in the scripture that God is a jealous God. Sometimes there's justification for feelings of jealousy. But all of those things that have been given to us by God that are part of what it means to be human, this is the danger. And, and I'm speaking language that I know you all know what I'm talking about. That there are surging powerful emotions that can take over. That is, you can be enslaved to anger and become bitter and do things that you probably shouldn't do of yelling at your kids, yelling at your spouse, kicking the dog, or threatening the D word, divorce, in the midst of a, a fight. Or, or, or fear, you know, fear can take over your heart so that you're paralyzed. You can't do what the Lord wants you to do. You're not stepping out in faith. It just reduces you to a place where you are um, dysfunctional and cowardly. Or jealousy. If jealousy is not justified, it can ruin your marriage and put your spouse in a prison. Or grief. You know, grief can so take over the human soul that a person becomes so obsessed that they want to sit in a dark room, close the shades, and listen to Peter Gabriel and not get up in the morning. As these emotions, like waves, have the capacity, 
if we're not careful, to lift us up and just beach us. So how is it that we as believers are to deal with this inner stuff, these movements, these emotions, as the word motion is an emotion? How are we supposed to do with that? How are you supposed to? How am I supposed to deal with that? This is a very real human problem, is how do we deal with these things? Well, uh, I would like Psalm 119, verses 81 to 88, to be a guide for us, for all of us, as to a biblical way of, of dealing with this heart that God's given to us but is fallen and capable of enslaving us or, or moving us to do things we shouldn't do by way of, of emotion. Now, Psalm 119, in the broader sense, is, a, is, a, is a, the longest chapter in the Bible um, that praises and lifts up and exalts God's word and its sufficiency for God's people. It's, it's, it's an amazing um, psalm, and it's, it's uh, laid out according to the Hebrew alphabet. So there's Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hevav, that's A, B, C, D, E, F, G, which is kind of creative because a uh, psalm about the word is actually a composed on the basis of letters which create words. And so we're going to do Kaf, or its equivalent, letter K, which begins in verse 81. Now, it's already been read for you. But this is in the context of a conversation between a believer and God. All right? This is a prayer. Um, this is a, a, a vertical conversation that he's having with the Lord. That's, that's, that's the context. And in this vertical relationship that he has with God, um, the psalmist is, is, is not only free, but he takes the liberty of being very real with God about his emotions about how he feels. It, and you'll notice, um, took the liberty of putting some green boxes around him just so you can see it a little easier. But he says, my soul longs. And most translation actually say, my soul languishes. That is a soul that's feeling desperate, a soul that's feeling deprived, a f- soul that's needy, hungry, and thirsty, like something needs to happen. This is my soul languishes, same basic idea in, in 82. My eyes long or languish for your promise to come to me. I ask, when will you comfort me? Which gives the impression that he doesn't feel comforted, which may be a, an implicit way of saying, God, I feel isolated. I feel alone. I feel loneliness. I, I don't feel like you're here. He's being really honest with his, his emotions by way of that, that question. He says, for I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. Most of us don't have wineskins um, in our culture. It's, remember those old Boda bags that used to be able to put water or wine or whatever you wanted in, but without plastic in ancient times. Oftentimes what they would do is they would hang it in the rafters of the building, and uh, they didn't have chimneys, so the cooking smoke would go up, and they would hit these wineskins and either shrivel or actually say shrivel and ruin them. And oftentimes they would be forgotten. So I think behind this image is either that I feel ruined by my circumstances I mean, how many of us go through things you just feel ruined? Or maybe he's saying, I've been forgotten up in the rafters. Maybe it's both. I've been forgotten by you, neglected, feelings of neglect, feelings like I just feel ruined. It's very honest. Um, verse 84, how long must your servant endure? It's like I've been doing this for a long time. Um, feelings of burnout. Uh, Feelings of impatience, like I don't have any more gas in the tank. That's, this is loaded with feelings. We're not talking about um, 
just kind of short-term things like, well, I had really bad traffic today coming home from work and I feel angry. Or the baby's been fussy and colicky all day. Or I had to stand in line at the DMV for three hours. Now, all of those things have a way of stirring up frustration and negative uh, emotions. But the way that the psalmist describes this is this is a season of my life. This is where I'm at. Lord, I am struggling with these emotions. Very honest and raw with the Lord. And the reason why is the second part is he tells us some of what he's experiencing. He's like, he's being persecuted. The insolent, or another way of defining insolence is proud or presumptuous, have dug pitfalls for me. That is, people are are laying traps for me. They persecuted me with falsehood. There's, There's no reason for them to do what they're doing to me. This is an innocent suffering. Verse 87, they have almost made an end of me on earth. That is, I've been pushed to the breaking point. So this is, a, this is where our, our psalmist is. He is sharing his heart, his emotions with the Lord, and he's, he's bringing the situation and the circumstances. This is what's going on. Which brings us to, I think, if you will, point number one. In dealing with and managing and, and with these, these emotions that God has given us, which can easily be disproportionate to the issue and take control of of the heart, is that we need to be in the practice of bringing the situations and feelings honestly to the Lord. Now think about it for a moment. We were made to do this. When you've had a really, really difficult day, and you find yourself angry, frustrated, or just grieving, or overjoyed at the news that you have a new great baby, uh, new grandbaby. It's like, what is your first instinct? Your first instinct is to find a trusted, close, confidant, or friend and say, this is what's going on. Like, I have to share this because we're communal, relational creatures. God made us that way. We, don't, we weren't meant to deal with emotions in isolation. We were meant to deal with them in community. Only here, the closest, most trusted, if you will, friend that the psalmist has is God himself, right? Is, is that what you do? Because that's what we do in my family. If something big is going on, my wife's the first to hear about it because on, on earth she's my closest, most trusted friend. Not too long ago, some months now, she, she called me. She goes, Dan, I need an emergency lunch. <laughs> Something was going on at work that was difficult, it was sorrowful, and it was stressful. She's like, I need, I need an emergency lunch. So we get together, and she just is sharing her emotions with me, sharing the situation because there's comfort in sharing. Well, the psalmist teaches us that the way we're supposed to deal with life first and foremost is we need to have this kind of relationship with God, an intimate relationship where he's like the go-to guy. There's a real relationship where you can be raw and you can be honest about both what you're feeling and what you're going through. You know how much that honors him? When you trust him enough and believe that he's actually listening to say, God, I need to pour out my heart to you. That's a, that's a way of dealing with it. A lot of Christians don't deal with it that way. But it's right here, and it's all through the Psalms. It's like, how are you going to deal with the stuff that's going on here? Well, you know what? First and foremost, can you, can you have a, an intimate conversation with God about it and let him know where you're at? That has been the pattern of God's people throughout the ages. And bring it to the Lord. Bring it to him. Don't just let it, like, go horizontal. I'm really frustrated, and so you're just going to go ballistic on everybody else, regardless of what it is. Which brings us to the second part of this. And how do we deal with internal emotions, oftentimes um, stirred up by negative uh, uh, circumstances? 
And he, he, he is over and over and again, if you, if you didn't notice or pay attention, he comes back to you. And this is going to play on last week's message too. And, and the repetition is good because we need, we need to get it like deep in our souls that this is the way that God has, mediates his relationship with us, namely through his word. Every time in my, in my languishing uh, hope for salvation, I hope in your word. In the languishing of my eyes, it's your promise. Um, he says, I haven't forgotten your statutes, even though he feels like that discarded, ruined wineskin up in the rafters. He says, um, his, the, the persecutors, they, they, they don't live according to your word, your law. All your commandments are sure. 88, it's like they pushed me almost to the end of, so that uh, made an end of me on earth, but I have not forsaken. Though I feel at times forsaken, I am not forsaken your precepts. And the very last one, I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. This is all different ways of talking about what God has given to us in, in his word. Like it is, it, is, it is pivotal, it is central to one's ongoing relationship to the Lord to have his words to us as both the center and also that which we surrender our lives to. Like, in other words, the driver's seat of the heart mustn't be the emotion. Now, emotions must not be that which dictate or, or direct us to live. It, it should be God's spirit in the word in the heart saying yes or no. I've said different things about the word, and there's different ways of talking about it, but yet another way of looking at it is two dimensions of God's word is both revelation, that is who God is for us, what he's done for us, who he is, what he's promised us, that is the, the top down, what he's revealed, but then the word also has that part of us that, excuse me, part of us, it also speaks to that part of us where we're respons responsible to actually respond, like how do we live life in light of how you've revealed yourself to be in the circumstances of life with all of these emotions, so it reveals calls us how to respond, and, and both parts of that are important. That is, they serve as both to motivate and direct life. Motivate and direct life. And, and it's in, in the experience of many, including myself and many of you, it's, it's the one thing that has a capacity to motivate us to do what's right, sometimes against how we feel. So you get up in the morning and you see that... Uh, North Korea has tested another weapon, and for some of you, you don't care. Others of you are going, wow, this is kind of scary stuff. So how do you deal with that fear? Well, if you take a moment and realize God's word, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, God utters his voice, and the earth melts. He causes wars to cease, and he tells us, Psalm 46, this is where it comes from, be still. And know that I am God. And I will be exalted in the earth. That reflection on who God is over the nations, his sovereignty, has a way of calming our fears. Or when we find ourselves overwhelmed with the sense of grief, of loss. To be reminded that the trump shall sound and the dead in Christ shall rise. In other words, everything that's lost in a Christian's life now is only temporary. And to find your grieving heart calmed by the power of his word. And we could go on through and just how the revelation of God, his promises and who he is in his word, taken in and meditated on, has a way of calming those 
emotions, even anger. Like just to recognize the day is coming when he will judge the living and the dead. And to know there's not a single piece of injustice that will not be dealt with at the end of time. That may not eliminate your frustration, but it will calm it so that it no longer, it doesn't take over you like a, like a wave and thrash your life. So it has a way of motivating um, us to do what's right even against how we may feel. But it also tells us how we're supposed to respond in different situations. For example, and I don't know if you've really thought deeply upon this one, but in this uh, instruction or teaching of Jesus, he's really kind of asking us to act incongruently with how we feel. That is, Jesus says, um, if someone strikes you on the cheek, what are you supposed to do? Turn the other cheek, right? In other words, you don't return evil for evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Rather, you return kindness when someone injures you. Now, you think about that for a second. If someone insults you, whether it's a a literal slap on the cheek or whether it's just a, a verbal offense, do you feel angry? Yeah. Like I said, anger is a natural response to an injustice, and a verbal attack is an injustice. So at one level, Jesus says, you're going to be offended, and you're going to be angry. But I want you, instead of venting your anger or being vindictive and getting an eye for an eye, I want you to extend kindness. That means you're going to act incongruently with how you feel in the moment. And and we, we have a difficult time doing that because we have a way of of thinking that our truest self is our emotional self. So if I happen to be mad at you because you bumped into my car and I'm upset, that to offer kindness to you and be kind when I am upset is faking it or I'm acting. Now, granted, if there's an issue, people should try and work it out and come to a resolution, but that's not always possible. So how are we going to deal with when we find ourselves upset and angry at somebody to give kindness? Is Is it an act? Is it fake? Most of the people that I know would say, I'm not. If I'm upset, I'm not going to fake it and do kindness. So is it just an act to be incongruent with your emotions and your actions? I don't think so. I don't think it's acting at all. I think it's simple obedience to Christ. And at the end of the day, it's for his sake that we do these things. Think about it for a second. At some level, I'm getting into the Trinity here, but Jesus is God, right? Which, and God is slow to anger, but he has an anger towards sin that's justified. The son felt and feels anger at sin. When he came to earth, I'm sure he felt anger over sin on a number of occasions it said he was indignant. At the same time, while he may have been angry, he saw fit to take the slander. He saw fit to to, to endure or bear up under the lies or false accusations that he casts out demons by demons. Or when he's being led to the cross by enemies, you know, and he had the power, he created the world, he calmed the storm, he raises the dead in a snap to incinerate everybody, but he doesn't. But rather he acts in love while at the same time he's angered by sin. Was God acting incongruently? No. He, Jesus Was Jesus acting incongruently? No. He was serving his Father and serving our good. That is to say, at the end of the day, we offer kindness, even when people don't offer kindness to us and injure us, because he first did that to us, that love.
you know, there's been different times where I've, um, I, I never thought of myself as an angry person. <laughs> I roll with the punches, Dan Decker guy, yeah, until I had kids. And then, uh, <laughs> and now, and it just, seeing uh, politics, I've been very careful about not letting you know which side I'm on, because I don't think that's my place. But I'm angered by things I see on both sides. And what do I do with that? I've been angry sometimes over, over stupid stuff, too. Like, somebody sold something one time that was very important to me. It wasn't actually mine as a possession, but it was something I used. They sold it out from under me. Man, was I ticked. It's one of those ticked-off feelings where you go to bed at night and you keep thinking about it. And it makes it worse. Then you get up, and it's there again. And it's just like just kind of a seething undercurrent, right? And, uh, and it wasn't until, like, I'm... It's funny, I'm harboring this bitterness in my heart at the same time I'm reading through the Bible. And, and um, I get to Isaiah 65, which is, it, it proclaims the new heavens and the new earth, right? And I'm reading it, and I'm angry. Reading it, and I'm angry over this possession, this, this possession that can be rusted and broken and will one day go up in flames. And I realized at that moment, it really doesn't matter. What broke loose or melted my anger and bitterness was the simple fact of God's word showing me the big picture and me realizing I was a complete numbskull for getting all wrapped up over something stupid. That is how the word is supposed to work and why we're supposed to be in it constantly is that it has the power to tell us how we're supposed to live and also motivate us through the gospel. If Jesus did this for us, well then why can't I do this for others? So there you have just... Again, this is, this is how the psalmist is doing it. By his own example, he's showing us how to do this. He's like really honest with God um, about the circumstances and his emotions. At the same time, he's devoted it, you know, um, to the word, to having his life centered on it and uh, surrendered to it. Like this is the way God mediates his relationship to us. Until we see him face to face, this is how we relate to God is through his word and prayer. Right? That's how important it is to have our heart re-centered, stabilized, re-grounded on the truth of who God is and how he's called us to live. But then there's one final thing, and it's, it's nothing new. It's actually repetitive of how the psalmist oftentimes end. That it ends in a prayer that's grounded in God's steadfast love, or the New Testament concept would be covenantal grace. He says, you know, because it's hard sometimes. And that, I titled this message, which unless you read the newsletter, you didn't, don't know what the message is. But it's emotions in the battle for faith. Like sometimes in dealing with this, it is a battle. It's not always easy to resist when emotions are pushing you to go in a direction. And instead, hold on to the word of God and say, I'm not going to allow my emotions to drive my life. I realize it's hard. It's hard for all of us. It's, an, it's a universal struggle. Which is why in the end, because it's a battle, he says, in your steadfast love, give me life. That, and this is the result of God's love, giving him life, that I may keep the testimonies. In other words, I need a little help here. Actually, I need a lot of help here. Um, these, these surging emotions, whether they be jealousy or anger or fear or grief, I picked the more negative ones on purpose. We don't have a hard time battling joy. <laughs> that's one we love, um, is, is to pray, Lord, um, right now it's not in me, but in your steadfast love, that is in your commitment to me, 
because you have redeemed me, because I am yours, because I'm a loved child, a beloved son or daughter, I'm asking that you give me life, which is give me strength, give me vitality, inner vitality from you so that I can actually keep these and resist these urges to be angry and sin or be jealous and wreck my marriage or be overwhelmed by grief so that I can't actually help other people. So here you have, again, or not rocket science, but how many of us are in the, in the practice of this? It's like this is how we're supposed to like, learn to develop our spiritual life. God is my go-to guy, and I'm totally honest with him about my situation and my emotions. That my life is committed, devoted to keeping God's word is, a, is like the, my mainstay of my heart. And um, to, to know him and to allow him to define um, how I'm supposed to walk. And then to pray and just ask, Lord, I, I need your help. That's constant rhythm in life. And, and this is the way that the psalmist and the people of God in the Bible have dealt with their, their emotions. Emotions are real. They're a gift in most cases. But they are not to control us. They're not to define us. And they're not to direct us. That's the place of God in the heart, in his word. And I want to finish with this. Um, during our prayer times on Wednesday morning, that's when the staff uh, prays. And the elders actually pray too. Um, they get the same list when you write out that little card. And we pray for you. And we also take go around the table and we pray for each other too as a staff. And um, it got to Sharon Hansen. And almost everybody knows who that is. But just in case you don't know who she is, she's the founding pastor's wife who lost her husband of many, many years last year. And she still serves as our secretary. So get around the table and it gets to her. And she says, and I asked her if I could say this. I actually wanted her to come up and do it, but she's gone today. <laughs> I was like, dang, I wanted you to share this part. But she could do it so better. But it was just this authentic moment where she was just being vulnerable. And she said, you know, this has been a really difficult week for me in my grief. And, and without being prompted, she just pulled open her Bible. She said, but you know what's helped me? She says, I, I came across this in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. that says, the Lord is in your midst and he is mighty to save. And she said, you know, in my grieving, it just lifted my heart up. That's the word alive in a person's life, helping them battle the emotions that can consume you. And I asked her later in the day, I said, all right, I got to exp- have you expound a little bit for me. And it works into my message really well. So I just want to know. I said, do you tell me, um, how have you gotten through the last year? How are you getting through what you're experiencing? And her answer was simple. And yet in its simplicity, it was profound. She simply said, it's the word. Now, granted, she went on to say the community of family is a big part of that. Like my wife said, it's like we need people in our lives to cheer us on saying, you can do this. You can finish this. But at the same time, the one constant in life, relationships change. People change. Friendships change. But the one constant in life is the word, which, like God, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's your best friend uh, in times of difficulty, and it's your best friend in trying to manage the emotions which easy, easily can make shipwreck your relationships. So uh, I guess this is really practical. I'm telling you that, that this, is, this is how 
the believers in God have dealt with the internal workings of their emotions for thousands of years. And I think the psalmist would commend us saying, listen, this is how we do it around here. This is how we do it. We bring it to him. We stay focused on the word and we are on our knees praying for grace. Amen. Lord, I